Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power, brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Growth League, a podcast at the intersection of personal and professional growth. To get us inspired for the week, every Monday, I seek out remarkable women leaders and we uncover their rule for growth. And the rest of us, you, me, and our tribe, we can use these rules to save some time and heartache on our way to achieving what's possible. This week's rule from our guest, Lisa Kolodny Johnson, is recognize when feedback is just a goat rodeo. This episode is brought to you by Influence & Co., a content marketing company that helps you create content that drives measurable business results. And on a personal note, I had a particularly difficult week last week personally, and they sent me soup and cookies and rolls to make me feel better. They are a company that truly cares. That is why I'm so proud to partner with Influence & Co., an industry-leading agency with 10-plus years of expertise in content marketing. Rather than hiring an SEO agency, a content agency, and a PR firm, businesses can work with Influence & Co. to create and execute a comprehensive content marketing strategy without having to engage multiple vendors. You can find out more about Influence & Co. and the many services they offer by visiting influenceandco.com slash growth. This week's guest, Lisa Kolodny Johnson, is the VP of Marketing at Roe, a telehealth company from diagnosis to delivery. Founded in 2017, the company has raised $900 million and is currently valued at $5 billion. She's a mom of two kids and two dogs, and she is so driven, competent, and accomplished that it is almost unbelievable to learn that she was laid off during her maternity leave in a previous job. I think her story is so important. It's motivating and it's relatable to hear. I hope you really enjoy my conversation with Lisa. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I want to start out with something serious, but I I read this about you that you were laid off while you were on maternity leave. Yes. What happened? Well, I mean, it's a great question. I don't want to put the company where it happened sort of under spotlight, but I think, you know, it was a company where I had been having a great career trajectory there, promoted two times in two and a half years, went on maternity leave during that point in time. There were structural changes to the organization, changes in management and whatnot. And I actually remember it so vividly because sort of sensing, you know, that it might not be that I'm coming back to a job I had been interviewing. And so I was sitting in J. Crew, sort of sifting through interview clothes and my postpartum, you know, two and a half months in body feeling not so great about myself. And I get a phone call um, and, you know, it's a woman from the HR team at that company. And they're like, do you have a minute to talk? And you know, I said, sure, why not? And they proceeded to lay me off, not even in person, by the way. Um, and it was just done so poorly. And um, my team was obviously devastated. And I, of course, this was 
eight and a half years ago, my daughter's eight and a half right now, right? So it's eight years ago. This would obviously never happen today. But I would say in retrospect, I think it was a big gift. I got to have extra time with my daughter and I was able, you know, my network really came to not the rescue, but to uplift me in that time. Obviously, I was very panicked. I'm the breadwinner of my family and this is me embarking on a new journey of having a daughter. And so uh, one of my professional mentors said to me, look, don't worry about it. I've got a job for you right now consulting. And literally two weeks after this happened, I, I started consulting for a nonprofit um, and then just building my business from there. And so, you know, that's the story of getting laid off on maternity leave. What was your next phone call? Who did you call after you got the call? So I called my husband. I was hysterically crying, obviously. And he was at work at the time. We had a, a nanny at home um, with the baby. So my friends from work who were so upset, they wanted to grab drinks to go talk about it. So I said to my husband, I'm going like literally, I'm crying. I'm going to get a drink with people from work. You're going to have to go home. Like, it's like I was angry at him as if this had anything to do with him. <laughs> um, he He laughs about it. And then, you know, to be honest with you, I wish that I had handled it better. But instead, I think I just got pretty, I, I drank a lot <laughs> and then came home and went through probably every emotional, you know, everything on the emotional spectrum in terms of just feeling beyond disappointed to, you know, what am I going to do? You know, panicked. So then of course I called my, you know, I called my dad, I called my mom, I called my sister. Um, I called, you know, the next day, I think I picked up the phone and called some other people, but yeah, I mean, it, yeah, that the first call was my husband to let him know what was going on and that I needed to go drink, <laughs> which is not great. <laughs> That's okay. We all have lists of uh, ways not to handle a situation. Yes, exactly. I'm, I'm curious what you think the most helpful thing that you did during that period was. I think after I gathered myself, right, um, the most helpful thing I did was one, look around and understand that I do have a support system. I think your initial reaction anytime that you're laid off is this, is this something that I have done, right? And in this case, you know, Yes, it was a layoff. I was not the only person getting laid off, but it's almost impossible to say, like, what could I have done differently, et cetera. And I think, you know, ultimately getting myself out of that mindset quickly and saying, okay, this isn't about me, but I need to step and, and move forward. Who do I have, you know, in my network um, that I can talk to, that I can trust, that will help me get through this? So I think for me, to answer your question, just really getting out of my own way and not going into a phase of self-pity for a long time is, you know, was critically important. You know, I think so many people, including myself, will probably have so much shame in that situation that we would be afraid to call the former coworkers at that company. And then we would have missed out on that huge opportunity that you found. Shame is real. Um, I think when you and at the time I was working in media and had Frankly, I wish I could say this was the first time I was laid off. It wasn't. I watched an entire organization be shut down while I was at Playboy and watched people who had been there for 50 years lose, you know, not only a job, but a family and an existence, right, in terms of like their life. And I think, you know, I wish I could say it got easier every time. Um, it, it doesn't because each scenario is different. But I think what you learn after each time is your world isn't ending, Right. And, you know, no one is judging you. Everyone understands that things happen and that there are things that are outside of your control. And I think to try to reduce that shame, you know, 
is just like, I, I don't even know how to do that. It's just kind of like a, a lesson. It's like developing a thicker skin over time. And luckily, by the time I was at this point, I had literally seen layoffs so much in my career that I understood that people have lives after a layoff. And that like, I also had, you know, the other thing to say about that shame is, uh, at the time, I was working for a women's brand, um, where really, I saw incredible women who were leaders, breadwinners, who had had lots of different experiences, and, and I trusted them deeply. And I think because of that trust, the shame wasn't even a factor for me. I was like, I, I know they won't be judging me. You've said before that if you can learn to take feedback in a way where you take what's useful to you and then you pull away what's not useful to you, you're setting yourself up for success. So I'm curious if you have an example of some difficult feedback that you received, maybe in this kind of environment or elsewhere that you thought uh, was really valuable to your career. Yeah, I mean, so actually very early in my career, I was working in campus recruiting for Deutsche Bank, really big bank, right? Um, and I'm right out of college and, you know, gung ho. And here I am sort of, frankly, just like filing resumes and picking up phone calls. And and um, at one point, a woman who I was working for took me to lunch and she said, I need to tell you something. You're, you're incredibly intelligent. You're a warm person, but you're not the smartest person in the room in every conversation. And I was like, wait, what? You know, like, what, what do you mean? And she was like, you're coming across as like almost combative and frustrated. And I think it's because you're not happy with the work that you're doing, but instead you're coming across as you know better you could do things better. And I I honestly did not like have a clue that I was coming off that way. But I also was sort of like, what does that mean? You're not the smartest person in the room. Like I really value my intelligence and I'm not going to like back off from having an opinion, but I will sort of adjust my attitude and try to understand if I am being, if I'm not understanding, you know, how the other person is reacting to me or, you know, if I'm somehow putting across something that I'm not meaning to, and that is, you know, important, obviously, in any interaction. But I think that was an interesting piece of feedback where I just was very taken aback. But it did help me understand in the working world, you never know what the person on the other end of the table, like what they're experiencing and therefore like how they are actually experiencing you. And so I didn't take verbatim everything she said. I didn't roll over and just like start blindly listening to people, but I did try to, you know, translate it into something that was helpful for me. And maybe pick up like a theme that is appearing across feedback. Right. Yes. Well, that is something I think, you know, over time, I have a 20 year career, right? Over time, just sort of understanding, is there consistent feedback? Are there consistent themes in my work life? Uh, where something energizes me and something drains me? What can I learn from experience to experience? What do I choose to take with me? And what do I choose to leave behind? I think that's part of this as well. It's not just about feedback, but it's also about like your personal reaction to a situation and, a, and people and working environments, et cetera. Do you find that as you become more and more senior in positions, you're getting less and less feedback? No. <laughs> 
Tell me more about that. I mean, the reality is, I think, and maybe that's because it's my personal style is to be like relatively transparent and open with people. And so they feel that they can give me feedback as well. Um, But I I think it's very important, actually, the more senior you get that you keep a, a finger on, you know, what feedback may be, whether that's from your peers or more importantly, the people that are on my team, right? Because you are getting farther away from the day-to-day work and being in the weeds on everything. And sometimes your perception of what the culture may be or, you know, the way people are feeling can be a little bit off because you're the one setting the tone. So you want to believe that everything is great, whereas someone else's experience might be a little bit different. So I find it critically important that people keep me on in the loop, you know, in terms of themes that might be arising within the organization that I might not be personally feeling, but should know about. And I think in terms of direct feedback, as you do get into more leadership positions, the feedback, you know, that you seek, and I think this goes back to the initial quote is like, not every piece of feedback is good feedback, right? Um, But choose who you want to take the feedback from and really like think about it and, and sort of figure out, is it something that you actually need to think about beyond just that one conversation? Is it something you need to do something with or just like kind of lay there as part of a conversation? With a new baby and an eight-year-old son, getting a good night's sleep is more important than ever. And I need those uninterrupted eight hours to thrive at home and at work. And that's why I'm so appreciative of my Helix mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. Why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know is going to be perfect for the way that you sleep. Whether you sleep on your side or on your back and where your aches and pains are are all unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattresses models to choose from. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with the Midnight Luxe mattress because I sleep on my side and I prefer a medium feel. So if you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. Just go to helixsleep.com growth, take the two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that's going to give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you're going to. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash growth. That's helixsleep.com slash growth. Okay, I want to talk about this website that you've started, pretzelmom.com. You said you had it for like one day. (laughs) So I started that, I think, actually, at the time where Phoebe was an infant, and now she's eight and a half. So you can tell nothing's been done. But really, the reason why I had started it is something that I think, you know, anyone who's a mom or working parent, frankly, and honestly, I don't even think you have to be a parent anymore to feel all the pressures and, and the different sort of pieces there. But I really felt like I was being bent and sort of twisted in a bunch of different ways. And one of the things I actually talk about a lot even with candidates who are coming into the company who are who are new parents and are worried about work-life balance. One of the things I'm honest about is I think there's, you know, always going to be sort of a time, right? I have like the circle that I have drawn where it's um, my ambition, 
my friends and family, and then like basically me. It's very rare that I feel like, oh, my life is so imbalanced. I'm I'm having a perfect amount of time for me to be, you know, doing my fitness and my career is getting everything it needs. And my friends and family, I'm so in touch with them and having these, you know, there's always one thing that's going to kind of be pulling you a little bit more. Um, and so, you know, I think that is ultimately why I started that blog is because I was feeling that tension already very early on. And I think now I sort of been able to think through it a little more philosophically, which is like, how do you deal with balancing these three different things? And how do you actually, you know, accept maybe that it won't be a balance, but that that's also okay. Well, I I thought the website was really cool. I thought the idea of it was amazing. And you're a very creative person. So I'm curious whether this is like a one-off thing that you got really excited about or that you were like a a very good starter of things. (laughs) Right. I am the starter of many new projects when it comes to creativity. Um, I'm always trying to teach myself, you know, something new, like drawing on the iPad or, you know, illustrating some of the cartoons that I think about to maybe put on that website, trying to do writing, you know, it's, it's that push and pull again of like, where does my creative space get made um, versus the creativity that I need to give during the day to work and actually to the kids as well, because I want to fuel their creative lives and my husband. Um, So yeah, I'm very good at starting things like that. And I need to try one of my goals is to try and commit, you know, to doing more of the creation on my own behalf in the next year. This is a problem I encounter frequently. I get so excited about, I want to learn how to draw on the iPad. I also want to make pottery. I want to sing, you know, like I have an unlimited list of things I want to try and do. So how do you pick whatever's next? It's such a good question. I don't think there's a great process, frankly, in my mind. One thing is like, it's usually just, I have a feeling that I want to sort of disconnect from things and, you know, start getting into a more creative space. So in the last year, actually with COVID, you know, year and a half now, but when, when COVID was starting, I felt a lot of mental relief in drawing. And so I, you know, joined Skillshare and just started taking some of those bite-sized lessons and then, you know, just kept drawing and and kept that up for a while. And then, of course, my job kind of got a little more intense and, you know, did sort of stopped doing that, but then shifted over to like listening to audiobooks and, you know, really kind of trying to put my time in there to change perspective. I was seeing that I was very stuck in like business book land and I wanted to be listening to fiction again and like some spiritual thinking, right? So I am like right now listening actually to Ann Patchett's latest book, which is um, I think called like a successful marriage story or something like that. But anyways, it's great because she talks about her writing process and, you know, just how like she has to separate the inner critic from the writing and just like keep going with the writing. And I'm so inspired by that because sometimes I think what stops me is like the inner critic that's like, why are you doing this drawing? Like, it's never going to amount to anything. But I think really it is just like create to create. I'm not trying to make it into like some sort of, you know, influencer status. (laughs) <laughs> you, you know, one of the goals of this podcast is also a community and people can launch growth projects, but they're limited to like three months or less. You know, I think so many right. people set out like lifelong changes, like now I'm going to be a, a potterer. I don't know. Right. I, I don't know what that is. Uh, <laughs> a potter. You've got it. <laughs> yes. Yes. So like, but instead saying, OK, I want to try this embroidery thing for the next couple of weeks and see how I like that. 
have you experimented with the different kinds of approaches? I'm just curious what you think about that. Another great question, because I, again, one of the books I was reading earlier this year was Power of Habit, um, James Clear, right? And his whole thing is like, you've got to do it every day. And even that to me is kind of like, oh my God, (laughs) you know, yeah, that's a lot, right? So I was like, I like this, but that, you know, so I do like the concept of chunking it and saying, do you do, do you just create, you know, for 30 days and then see where you are and move forward for the next, or sorry, three months, 90 days. I, I like that concept. And I think for me, what's always been consistent is exercise because I, I really need it for my mental health, but I tend to let the creative pieces kind of flow out. So I, that approach I really like with the community saying. Lisa, I saw that you shared an article online that every woman should think of herself as a breadwinner. Tell me more about that. Right. So Jen, Jennifer Barrett, who is a dear friend and a, actually a former coworker from um, iVillage, she wrote a book called, I have it right here, Think Like a Breadwinner. And it's a it's wealth building manifesto for women who want to earn more and worry less. And one of the reasons I'm incredibly passionate about that is my husband is a stay-at-home dad. Uh, he's just applied to go back to school and, and be a teacher. But, you know, I think if you would have asked me years ago, like, who are you marrying? You know, like, who's your ideal guy? I don't know that I would have said, you know, it's a musician, like a drummer who, you know, doesn't have a corporate job or or might be a stay-at-home dad for X amount of year, years. I think, like, obviously it's the right life for us, but I never... No one ever said to me, like, think like a breadwinner, like you can do this. You can support a family. You have all the tools within your power, even though, you know, I never thought that I couldn't. It's just not something that I thought about. And I think that like one should know that they can do that, that that is an option for them, that if you go into a marriage, no one is saving you from a financial perspective. There's not this like weird Disney, you know, like your Prince Charming's coming and like then you go off into a life away like you should be financially, you know, responsible, hopefully for yourself and, and all those things. But you should also have the tools to understand what you need to do so that you feel confident, whether or not it's planned to be a breadwinner, or it just happens, right? I've seen so many of my colleagues where people's jobs aren't stable, right? Like your partner might lose their job, you need to be able to feel comfortable that you you can both support one another. And so I'm just very passionate about it. Because I think, even in Jen's book, she highlights the disparities in terms of the way that the media speaks to women about finances versus men starting from a very young age, where it's like, ladies, like save up for that pair of shoes by not buying a latte. And for men, it's invest your money in this. And it's just a completely different narrative that obviously, like we, you know, if you're not taught about, you might not pick up on. But I would love to see a world where my daughter like doesn't think twice about, you know, investing in her 401k or, you know, even before that Roth IRA thinking about, you know, how could she can save, how she can give to charity and how she can spend like should be basic. You've shared a story, a professional experience where you were being emotionally abused at work and were having physical reactions as a result. What can you tell us about that situation and advice that you'd give to your younger self? You know, in this particular situation, I had returned to work after having my son. So it's actually not that long ago. And the culture was just completely different. The person I was there to work for, you know, essentially was removed. And I found myself reporting to someone who didn't respect me and didn't respect what I did and, you know, was 
in retrospect, saying some some stuff to me that questioned, frankly, my character and questioned my team and questioned, you know, almost everything that we did. If there was a man in the room, I would present something and then the question would be like, hey, male person, what do you think? My big lesson there was that I stayed there because I had loved the job for a very long time and I deeply loved my team. And I felt like if I walk away, my team is going to be exposed to all of this nonsense. And also, by the way, walking away while you're the breadwinner and having two kids at home is not the easiest thing to do unless you have something else lined up. But in retrospect, I stayed way too long and I was having physical reactions. I'll never forget. I had to like walk down this very hot, like blazing hot sort of subway uh, area outside of the subway. And I was like walking towards the office and I'm like three blocks away. And I was just like, couldn't breathe, having a complete panic attack, just thinking of walking in there. My husband actually, like I had gotten another job and I was just like questioning, you know, is this the right move? Why, like, why would I take this job? And he's like, you have to take this job because you are literally bringing 30% of yourself home at night. If that, and by the way, I had an infant son at home who I was like essentially just kind of missing his life because I was so zoned out and so distracted. And I think for me, that's the biggest failure of my career because I was not looking out for myself and my mental health, which also means that you're not doing your best work, which also means that even if you think you're there protecting the team, right, you're probably not doing that great of a job. The reality of this too, that I will say is I don't think that when I was in it, I felt like it was abusive. It's only like since I left and realized like, oh my God, that was an actually wildly insane experience. And the things that were said to me were so unacceptable, but because, you know, you're in this environment where, you know, the HR team's like, well, there's nothing we can do about it. You think it's real big lesson for people is that if your body is physically like if telling you something, pay attention to that big time. You know, I had a really close friend go through something similar and it really messed with her entire self-image of herself. I'm just curious if that happened to you, like all of your confidence from beforehand kind of going out the window. Absolutely correct. And again, I don't think that I recognized that until I was out of it and realized that what I was doing at the next job was kind of rebuilding that confidence that I had and recalibrating what I knew was true, right? So I had always been told, like, you're an amazing leader, you're an amazing mentor, you build teams, you reach across aisles, you do amazing communication. And I had, you know, it was like the opposite experience. There was just, it was like, you know, going through nine months of just complete uh, lack of cohesion and complete just chipping away at that confidence and all the things that I thought I was good at. So the next really two years of my career were kind of spent building that back up, but also like building my boundaries up to just realize like, I don't have to be working 24 seven. There's not necessarily a huge payoff at the end of that, right? And in fact, you're losing more than than what you're gaining. And I can create healthy boundaries and still be very great at my job. That was really what I focused on in my job prior to coming to Roe. Well, I feel like it's really connected to the whole feedback conversation that we had earlier. You know, right, right. You have to be able to tell what's useful and what's very much not useful <laughs> to you. Correct. Okay, speed round. If you were to write a book on any topic, what would it be? 
Okay. So but I had a, a book title called Goat Rodeo. And it's actually it's actually stories from like corporate America, essentially telling people like how to deal with the, all the things we've talked about, right? Like a goat rodeo is a com- what, what a former boss would call a complete shit show, like at, you know, an organization. And I think the reality is as amazing as any culture is, right? Like there's always going to be a moment where there is chaos. And when you are dealing with something. And so the goat rodeo was kind of a survivor's manual um, for life in the modern workplace. And, you know, I don't know if I would actually write it, but I think it could be really good taking some of the learnings um, and, and giving people confidence that some of these things are not real blockers there. You know, you can, you can work through a lot of different scenarios. Okay. I think I have a rule for today and let me try it out on you. Um, okay. Know when feedback is useful or when it's just a goat rodeo. how is that i love it that's perfect it's great it's great okay what is the biggest oops of your career like sometime when you messed up you fell down whatever it might be and what did you take from it i mean i think the biggest oops was staying at that company way too long and realizing i think when my husband said you're bringing 30 percent of yourself home that was like a light bulb going off that i think what i'm taking away from it is you know your mental health and, you know, is just so critically important to all the different aspects of your life. And so protecting that at all costs and being able, especially in this COVID world where we're working from home and there is no transition between, you know, work time and mommy time and wife time or partner time, whatever that might be, like really making sure you're making that space for yourself and saying like, you know what, I I need 20 minutes of quiet time right now, right? Like whatever that is, I, that's what I take away from that, giving that sort of protection to myself. Okay, what is a strongly held belief that you currently have that would make for a fun debate at a dinner party? I mean, actually, I again, I strongly believe that more men should stay home and, and parent. I think my husband and the experience he's given to my kids as being, you know, the one who's a little bit more involved has been incredible. And they're, you know, they're probably different than they would be if it was me staying at home. And I think it empowers families and couples to think differently. But there's a ton of stereotypes still out there. If I could tell you the amount of men who say to my husband, like, well, like your job, it must be like a vacation every day. (laughs) It's obnoxious or like to me, hey, you guys are in total role reversal. I do think actually the topic though would still spur quite a debate if I were to say more men should stay at home at a cocktail party. Wow. Well, Lisa, thank you so very much for joining us today. If you want to follow Lisa online, uh, it's too bad you can't, but you can connect with her on on LinkedIn. (laughs) I'm at Diana Kander on Instagram and LinkedIn. And remember, the Growth League is more than a podcast. We have an entire community on Facebook called the Growth League, where you can take part in growth challenges, discuss the show, and meet other amazing like-minded individuals. Lisa, thank you so very much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. This was so fun. I got to tell you, this is my first time hearing the phrase goat rodeo. But when I mentioned it to my husband, Jason, after I recorded the show, he was like, oh, we use this in the army all the time, of course. So this is definitely my phrase of the week. I absolutely love it. And I think this rule about learning to know when feedback is not helpful connects back to Lisa's story about learning that her previous workplace was abusive. It's about seeing with clear eyes and knowing what you take into your life and what you need to leave at the doorstep. Lisa said that she had to recalibrate what she knew was true after her abusive work experience. And 
I think in the bubble of a workplace or a friend group or family or whatever your experience is, it can be hard to step outside and get that perspective that allows you to say, hey, uh, I think this is just a goat rodeo. <laughs> I think I have to get out of this situation. So I would love to hear your goat rodeo stories, perhaps share my own. So please join me in the Facebook group, The Growth League. I'd love to create a community where we share about those experiences and hopefully help people recognize them. If you enjoy the show and you want more like it, please make sure that you're subscribed. And I'm trying to get to 500 reviews for the show. So if you could just help us out and review it wherever you listen, that would be amazing. Thank you again to Influence & Co. for sponsoring the show and sending the delicious soup and cookies. In case you missed it, you should definitely read the Influence & Co. CEO Kelsey Raymond's recent article in Harvard Business Review, where she shares her experience on aligning sales and marketing teams. I'm going to share the link in the show notes, but if you need help aligning your sales and marketing departments, content can help, Influence & Co. can help. All you have to do is visit influenceandco.com slash growth to learn more. That's it for this week's episode of The Growth League. I am Diana Kander, wishing you an amazing, growth-filled week. The Growth League is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Edie Allard, Adesua Agbanile, and Taylor Williamson. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan, and our editor is Emily Rudder.